0: We can choose to respond in a way that's way more positive, right? We're adults, we're trained grown-ups who've been practicing how to act for a long time. Like and so what we should be able to do is both talk to each other in a way that's, you know, respectful and I think more importantly, honestly positive.
1: Welcome to our Brownover podcast. The podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Welcome everybody. This week I have an awesome conversation with Lee B. Lee B is an old friend of mine. He works professionally in the public policy arena and we cover a lot of ground in this episode. He's a very smart guy with a lot of interesting ideas. And I know you will enjoy the episode. And we're live. Lee v, good evening, my friend. How are you? Hey,
0: Tom. How are you, man? This is, uh, this is great to be on with you.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked, dude. You are uh, truly one of the most interesting people I know. And as a good friend of yours, it's fun to have you on because usually I have to ask people about their introductions and, and all that. But I, I could just introduce you. Things I know about you, Lee, you have lived in New Orleans. You were there during Katrina, which is absolutely wild. You've lived in Houston, you've lived over in the Netherlands, yeah. in The Hague, and you presently reside in the Washington, D.C. D.C. area. So that's quite a spread, man, of places to live.
0: Yeah, well, so I lived in Washington, D.C. and Arlington. Right. Yeah, you know, that's an important important difference to the people of D.C. Supposedly there's some beef there. I don't even know about it, but supposedly <laughs> there are some issues there. You don't want to cross the river for some reason.
1: I guess to frame it, you know, when we met, you were, I would say like a Southern guy, you know, largely you you had had that international exposure, but I mean, you were fresh from playing high school rugby and football in Houston, and then you find yourself up in DC. So how was that experience for you as far as new place, new part of the country, different types of people?
0: Honestly, man, I was prepared for it moving from Houston to DC because I had already done a big move before when I moved from New Orleans to the Netherlands. Like, you know, that was a crazy, and then I moved from the Netherlands to Houston. Um, So it was kind of easy, man. Like, honestly, like, I think I was definitely angry that I moved, like, the first two times. And, like, because, you know, how old was I? I was 11 and then 15. And, like, I think both times I felt like I had things going, and then it's like you end up in a different place. Once you transition in that way, in which it's kind of forced and uh, not perfect, you know, transitioning to college, which is something like you completely control, you know, you've picked this, you know, you're doing your thing. Like, it was awesome, man. Like, so I think that, you know, I was kind of ready to, to move, I guess, or whatever. I was prepared, at least. I mean, you know, I definitely I'm still close with all my friends from Houston. Um, but, you know, I was prepared to move to go on to college. And, you know, I really think that has to do with kind of doing it before. And, you know, I think that's just really is about like practice, man things, things get better as you kind of do them over and over. You know, I'm a big emphasis of repetition. I've been trying to repeat a lot of good habits recently, you know, it's definitely about failure and just repeating, man. And so when I moved to DC, I think the craziest thing that for me that was there was just like, I never encountered the type of people that are from the Northeast before, you know, it's a very different culture. You know, <laughs> you can never be prepared for that. Like I questioned a lot of things. There are a lot of things that were strange, (laughs) but it's like, I did the same thing when I moved from the Netherlands to Houston, sudden like, you know, the stuff that you're rocking, that was cool is not cool. And same thing happened when I moved from uh, Houston to DC, you know, I had to get a whole new
1: wardrobe to fit in. It's it's costly. Dude, I know. I mean, in that school, you know, we were at private school, basically. That's what it was. And, I've had conversations yeah, with, great. with my friends on here about like just that culture that like Northeast, there's layers to it. Like the Northeast, it has that kind of agro direct communication style, but also that environment we were in was a, a bubble, you know? Yeah. And it was, I, I found it very ironic because despite being in this international place with all these opportunities to connect with people from all over the world, most people, it seemed, were just not leaving the 8x8 campus even though we were down the street from these major international organizations.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that's there. Like, you know, people kind of stick to like what's comfortable and you know, that works out some of the times, you know what I mean? Like if you're in like an elite group, then you like go from elite high schools to an elite college and whatever, then go to an elite work field. Like that works pretty well, but it also shows you how like people get siphoned into like certain ways that aren't so good. You know what I mean? Where if you're kind of sticking to like the known groups, then these outcomes don't work out as well. And, uh, you know, so I think people do that because it's comfortable, man. And, uh, I mean, it's definitely, like, I never talked to, like, for example, any of the international students that went and, like, were speaking a different language. Like, I never made an attempt to hang out with any of those people. I actually did have a friend who he was with this, like, Korean group, and they, like, threw some parties. My man Carl. Shout out Carl. But, you know, that's what was cool about Carl, man, is he broke out of his box. He hung out with different people. Um, and I you I think that's important because it creates like new opportunities. Kind of if you're willing to like you know stretch yourself and make an effort to like show people that you care, you're interested mm-hmm. in stuff like that, which people are definitely afraid to do, especially if they're like different than you, right? Because you already have that barrier and then it's like, I'm gonna put myself out there for this person. you know that kind of risk. like people are afraid to do it. And it's definitely it's probably something I didn't do, like, you know, talking about like the experience of these moves. It's probably something I didn't do like earlier in my life but it's definitely something I tried to do when I went to GW. Like I tried a lot of different jobs, internships, you know, I think I interned like almost every semester I was there. Cuz you know, I was curious about like pushing myself and like at those things I wanted like diverse experiences with diverse kind of skill sets. You know, so that that's kind of something I was looking for because I kind of realized the value. Like, there are all these, like, this is what I learned from living in the Netherlands. There's all these cool people out there who just, like, have lived, come from completely different worlds. Like, you know, people from the uh, the the Gulf countries in Arabia, you know, people from Asia, people from Africa. I mean, even Europe that I was never exposed to living in New Orleans and just kind of interacting with those people and learning the value, like, the cool things about, like, how they grew up and like what they were into and stuff like that. And, you know, kind of learning tidbits of the language, like, you know, a couple phrases here and there, like, you know, <laughs> that's so like cool. And like, I think if you're able to do that, if you're able to like, you know, I think, you know, this is like my privilege or whatever, growing up in that environment is like, you learn, like you have to make connections with people different from you. It's a lot easier going forward right it's like a learning experience like you're interacting with people who like people who would be like fuck the usa like you know just completely like you know in the u.s you're told a certain set of d- beliefs and their country right a, a whole different set of beliefs about mm-hmm. politics or whatever and you'd have to hear this and like you know coming from the u.s where you know like people in the u.s are like we're the top dog or whatever you know growing up that's what i kind of like learned as a kid um and it's just kind of weird it's like wait what like they're t- they're saying bad things about the u.s like i can't do anything about that so, I, you know, it's interesting, man. And it definitely made me, like, more tolerant, more accepting, more understanding, and uh, more willing to kind of, like, reach out to people who are different or, like, in an environment where, um, you know, you're the different person, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that I feel like a lot of people, like, don't necessarily experience, where they're the fish out of water. And it's like, you know, I, I think it, a lot of people are afraid to do that. I mean, you know, maybe for good reason, you know, in some cases, but, like, you know, people are afraid to, like, step out of their box because, like, there's so much risk associated with it. But, like, For if sure. you're willing to do that, I think there's a lot that can pay off. And, like, something that I've always, like, prided in myself, and maybe I'm, like, a little impulsive, um, but I've always, like, prided in myself, kind of like a willingness to, like, put myself out there with someone. You know, like, uh, that that's something that I definitely think is important. And, like, I wish more people would do because, like, a lot of situations that don't go well, like I think if people were like just willing to like you know like maybe embarrass themselves like a little bit like a small chance, but like putting themselves out there like a lot of these situations would go a lot better. But you know that's how it is.
1: Absolutely, man. It's a it's a fine line between meeting new people, having new experiences, and overcoming that fear of rejection or maybe it's exposure or yeah. just making making myself feel foolish. You know, mm-hmm. but. I, I I agree, man. I think we're aligned in that. In as far as a core value being breaking out of the box and the comfort zone, and to me, it's been incredibly rewarding because then you just worst thing that happens is the person doesn't want to talk to you. Yeah. and your friends make your. In my case, my mean friends from Philly make fun of me for being a weirdo. You know, like that. I mean, we made fun that, of
0: you in college for it. Like you, yeah, You definitely does, put you know? yourself out there, man. You're you're a pro <laughs> at that. I think you I know. you were good friends with a couple of homeless people. Like I yeah. cut them off. I was like, fuck that man. Like well, it wasn't I mean, a good, I mean, it wasn't yeah. a healthy relationship. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I, I know. I remember who you're referring to.
0: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. No, man, that guy but... found me a couple of years later and like his foot was cut off and his arm was cut off because <laughs> he had diabetes. And like at the end of the day, like, you know, he should have been make, I don't, I don't want to say he couldn't have made healthier decisions, but like, you know, I don't. I don't think. I think there were better decisions he could have been making. You know that would have prevented that. I don't yeah, know. That could have prevented
1: the homeless guy from getting diabetes, Lee. Well, no, he
0: had diabetes, but managing that illness, like you know, right there's a well, certain he's level he's of possibility.
1: I mean, some of those guys, all I these, I mean, all these houses, rich Americans in houses yeah. have diabetes. you Kidding me? <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but like, I think there's like, I've I've offered like food to like a lot of homeless people. And like they're usually like the ones who are like chill will usually like tell me either hey I have food already or like you know yeah. something like that and so I just feel like the food is available maybe it's not healthy food and you know that would excel you know that would have accelerated the condition you know I really shouldn't have uh, put myself out like the like that now I'm gonna get canceled right for saying yeah, that yeah, a homeless man could have prevented his diabetes from progressing
1: a but- goodbye <laughs> yeah this is the end no no it's good. It's good. Okay, so there's a lot of good stuff there. But circling back around to some of those positive habits that you've been reinforcing, Mm -hmm. what are are those? So
0: I think the big one right now is, so I've been living with my girlfriend now, I I think at least four years. And so I think one of the things that we were messing up on is like the tone in which we talked with each other. And so one of the kind of the cues I've been trying to work on Is like the tone because I think it's very easy to fall out of that habit when you've been with someone for like a long time. And it's easy when like situations are stressful or less than ideal, which you know happens all the time. That kind of stuff, you know, is just very easy to build up and it just builds up anxiety, aggression, and like, you know, eventually, I guess, resentment, which is, you know, pretty bad. And so I think tone is like something that I've been kind of, you know, trying to focus on a lot. That's actually funny enough. So I have two dogs now, Luke and Dean, uh, both lab mixes. And and so one of the things that we're working on with the dogs is the tone, the different ways in which we talk to them to reinforce habits. And I think that's like tone is such a good example of like a very small thing. You have an entire like conscious control over that you can do to improve a relationship you know, if it's with your, you know, uh, your partner, you know, with people at work, you know, people on the street or whatever, um, you know, it's definitely like the tone in which you say something, you know, changes so much of the message. So that's like a little habit that I'm focusing on. And I think in the past when I focused on like things, I would try to focus on improving like too many things at once. So like tone and healthy eating decisions are like my two things right now. I'm trying to get skinny. I'm trying to I'm trying to get thin. So I've been trying to make healthy eating really? decisions. Yeah.
1: I mean, thin is thin is thin is a body type, man. Well, thin is you
0: know, there's only I think there's only so thin. What does that I can mean? Get.
1: What does that mean to you? I think right, I have no, a hold on. We'll, we'll get to body image next. Okay. Circle background of to tone here. I yeah. like that. Can you give us an example of one thing with your partner and one thing with a a pet and, and, you know, paint, paint the portrait for the people. Hmm.
0: Okay. So I think, you know, tone, one of the more stressful things in our lives right now are our two dogs, Luke and Dean. You know, I, I was like, you know, did they cause me more stress to have them or less stress to have them just because they both have, you know, sets of behavioral issues that they've kind of, um, that we've inherited because they're both rescue dogs. So they're both kind of triggered by strollers, um, loud noises, scooters, that kind of stuff. And then Luke has a whole set of nemesis, So he has about like, you know, 10 to 15 dogs, <laughs> 10 to 15 dogs that due to past issues. If he sees them, it's on site. He woke up and chose violence. You know, he, he goes crazy mm-hmm. and it's, it's bad because then Dean gets set off. And so, right, we're just increasing the stress, right? Luke gets stressed, and then Dean gets stressed, right? And so I think this is just kind of a perfect example, too, for people. who are kind of on these walks. Like, I would, you know, get annoyed at Sam, you know, my partner, because she would – not respond in a way that I thought was like correct for the situation or not whatever. And like think, or I would basically get frustrated with the dogs and then that would rise the tension level in her because the way I'm saying things now, right. is just raising the tension level. And so I think it's just kind of like a spiral where, you know, everyone just gets tense with each other, right. People talk about tense rooms, right. It's, you know, people can vibe off certain energies right? There are certain emotions that I think are kind of like universal that people understand. And like, you know, so in this case, you know, the tone of the situation was set as negative. And, and, you know, the dogs can't control it, you know, that much. Like we can train it in them, but you know what I mean? They don't, have, they can't make a conscious decision every time sure. necessarily, or at least I'm not going to account for them that way. Um, but, you know, Sam and I in this situation, when the dogs are tense, we can choose to respond in a way that's way more positive, right? We're adults. We're trained grownups who've been practicing how to act for a long time. Like, and so what we should be able to do is both talk to each other in a way that's you know, respectful. And I think more importantly, honestly, positive. You know, making sure to use a positive tone, the way in which you say it and the words that you say, of course. But most importantly, I think the way in which you say it to relieve the situation. And that's just like, I think you have to be genuine in that. and that, like, that's, It's kind of a fake it till you make it situation where I think when you improve the tone on your things, you're reinforcing a behavior in yourself, you know, that's positive and is going to look at things like in a positive situation. Because I I think, you know, like from, you know, things that have happened in my life in the past couple of years, like definitely the tone that I've used, I think has been more negative. And it's really a question of like, constant reinforcement and finding these small habits that are reinforcing behaviors. Cause honestly, man, I don't think people are that much different from dogs. Like, you know, we can talk, we can play on computers, <laughs> we can do a bunch of fancy stuff, you know, like fly planes. But at the end of the day, like behaviorally, you know, I think we're pretty similar. And so um, you know, I just think it's really interesting the way in which like, you know, our dogs get more tense when we're tense. We get more tense when our dogs are tense. And it's really about figuring out ways you know, as kind of the adult, as the actor with free will to relieve the tension in that situation. And I think that's so important.
1: For sure. So the example would be like dogs are misbehaving. It's stressful for you and the other person. And Sam doesn't do something that you think is the right response. And then you kind of take out your fr- your, your frustration of the whole situation on her which you've then identified is not really productive because nothing's really going to change the dogs in that moment, most likely. And it's certainly not going to be something she says in that moment. Right? So at that point, it's just like your frustration at the situation is being taken out on her mm-hmm. as opposed to saying something more constructive or just saying, this is really annoying me right now. And yeah, let's just get out, let's just get out of here so we can all calm down.
0: Yeah, basically. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a great option to calming down because that's all you can do in some situations, right? Like when our dogs are acting crazy, that's all you can really do to control them in that moment. You know, you can reinforce positive behaviors before that, but the positive behavior in that moment is let's chill out because you don't need to be happy to see that dog, but you need to at least be chilled out. Um, and so I think that's, you know, that's a philosophical school called stoicism where essentially, you know, people have the free will, people have the ability to govern their actions. And so like, there's an initial reaction you can have, you know, you can be mad for a second, but you need to overcome that and take a step back, assess the situation and essentially calm yourself so that you make a rational decision. And that's, I guess, you know, that's kind of the root of what I've been working on when I'm working on the tone of my situation. You know, I think another example where I've been working on tone is people in the traffic interface so both pedestrians and cars so like you know having biked in the city one of the things that i learned you need to not be afraid of is to yell at cars especially cabbies because cabbies will have their windows down a little bit so you you, know, you want to talk to them to communicate mm-hmm. where you're going because some of the streets in dc swerve and so there are a lot of stressful situations where people could basically do to you know being in this high tension situation, make a mistake and hit you, right? I'm not going to say it's their fault because they're being careless, but if they're trying to make this move so they can get placed, you know, quickly and you're could be in the way, right? They don't think you're a risk when you are. So they're making a poor decision kind of as a result of the tension of the situation. And so one of the things that I thought was important was kind of communicating to them beforehand, you know, just saying like, hey, like, you know, real positively, I would try to be positive. But I think the problem came in when people did not listen and continue to do things. My tone, the way that I addressed the situation was extremely negative, you know, and I think that, you know, in, in some cases, maybe it's justified, right? Because they're about to run you over with their car and, you know, you have your, your bike lock in your hand and you're trying to figure out a way to push off or something to protect yourself. Um, but, you know, that's it's, it's a situation where maybe kind of a tenser tone is justified, kind of just like with the dogs. Like maybe sometimes you need to take a really tough tone to get their attention.
1: I think that's a great point just around like taking control of thoughts and making an intentional move to improve our lives from it. Because, I don't know, man, I think it, myself personally, a lot of people, you know, bro nouveau show you know the men like i feel like men are pretty like oftentimes at at the will of our emotions and kind of getting thrown around that way um as opposed to being in control Mm -hmm. so i think that's great
0: yeah and i always thought that was so funny that you know men will call women like too emotional and stuff like that but i think oftentimes you know men men are very emotional very emotionally driven and so I've always found that to be funny, and uh, you know I, I think I might be that way, but I, you know i try and I try and think logically about a situation and you know act positively if I can,
1: okay, so talk to me about this, your fitness goals, and you know you said you wanted to thin out. I think that's interesting. you know we're we're both big dudes, and I think that there's a lot of a lot more understanding in the culture around the kind of pressure that women face as far as to be look a certain way to, to be incredibly skinny, but also still, you know, have a big butt and boobs in that it's like, that's not really possible. Um, <laughs> but I don't think there's a lot of chat <laughs> around, around men and like how men talk about and think about our bodies. So yeah, talk to me about what you, you mentioned a little bit about you're trying to, you're trying to thin out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for me, you know, I think it's principally, a health decision, you know, I, there are definitely ways to, to make yourself, you know, focused to have certain features, you know, you can always enhance your features. I think through, through exercise, um, if you really do focus on something, um, you know, my, my butt is large and I squat a lot of weight, um, right. Those things are, <laughs> are correlated, you know, and some people, I guess are just, uh, you know, blessed with, you know, larger butts and smaller butts, um from what i understand <laughs> my butt is rather large for my size so um you know i guess i'm somewhere on the kardashian scale I'm not that seriously <laughs> though i don't know um but you know i think you know for me it's really just a health decision and and i think you know as long as people are healthy and happy with the, what they're doing that's what's important you know i think that people have to realize you know certain limitations of their situation right? You're, you're going to, you can work on something and you can develop that, but it's going to take years. And then more importantly, you know, there's only limits that your body can do. And that's something that I've definitely had to face recently a lot is kind of the limits of my situation. Like, I think I learned from playing with guys who who did play at the pro level, the limits of my career as a rugby player. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. previously I kind of learned my limits as a musician. Um, so I, I think, you know, kind of those accepting the reality, understanding where you relate, you know, to the world, it's, it's, a, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to realize. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been tough for me to kind of accept my place in the rugby hierarchy. Like, you know, this is exactly where you exist. I'm retired now, but I retired knowing how I stack. Like I feel comfortable rating myself relative to a, a large number of players, you know, kind of like my own little hall of fame or whatever but i think that's why so many people have body image issues is they have trouble accepting that you know what no matter how, how hard you work there's a limit to this right you know you know it's just not meant to be and then that's a tough thing for people to accept right because you know you want it all you see people out there who have who have it all right in quotations they right, have everything right, right. but you know and they want grand. something else You know, a lot of the times, I mean, maybe some of those people are happy. And then the simple fact that a lot of people need to realize is a lot of these guys and gals are on good old steroids. They're on, I don't know if they're on HGH. I don't know if they're on, like, I don't know any of the other ones, like trend and shit like that, but like they're on shit (laughs) like that. They're on tons of supplements. Like, and you know what? If you want to look just like that Instagram model, you know, maybe hard work, some plastic surgery in a little bit of steroids, you can do it. So it's kind of about being willing to go to the lengths to get these things. And, and that's what people got to realize is like, what, to what lengths are you going to go to, to get this, you know, how hard are you going to push for this thing for how much success, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, at the end of the day, some things just are not meant to be. And people need to accept that and, and embrace what they have. And, you know, that's, what's really, that's what makes you special, right? You're not going to be special being anyone else. Um, and, and so mm. for me, you know, what success looks like kind of with my fitness and, and the goals I want to get to um, is to kind of just continue doing things that I like and, and seeing how that takes my body. You know, I, I think that my weight, I don't think I can get like below 200. Like, I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm 5'11", which I read about is the most lied about height. Not six foot, it's I five. Totally, 11. I
1: totally buy that. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I'm five ten and three quarters.
1: Oh, so are you five, five 11? eleven? Are you five I'm eleven? Though?
0: Five, <laughs> five ten and three quarters. Close fucking enough. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> right, everyone oh, wants to be funny. taller. My,
1: my oh, high school totally, profile dude. said six foot. Oh my god, that's a joke. I didn't even want that. <laughs> I wanted that. See, oh, peer hilarious. pressure,
0: peer pressure influencing your concept of your body image. I know. Yeah. But uh, right now, you know. For sure. I'm retired from contact rugby. I, I don't think I can play anymore. I think that I got one tired of getting hit in the face, and then I had just some, like, nagging, chronic chronic injuries from, from really from tight muscles and stuff like that in a couple places. So right now, you know, the things I'm doing are swimming playing touch rugby, which I really enjoy. You know, I get a thrill from playing touch rugby, uh, basketball. Um, and then, you know, just I, I haven't been to a gym in over a year, but I got like three kettlebells, you know, for a total of less than $250. And like those, are, that's my gym. I have those and some resistance bands and you can do everything with that. Um, so, so that's kind of like what I've been doing for, for fitness, that and counting calories. And I just want to see where that takes me. And, um, you know, if it gets to a point where I have to, you know, just eat less and less calories, you know, to get to a weight, then I'm going to stop doing that. You know, I think, you know, I think my body Mm -hmm. will let me know when, when, what I have is healthy because, uh, you know, that's kind of the name of the game. You know, if you're going for anything else, you're crazy, you know?
1: Yeah, man, dude, well said. And thanks for being so open on that. I think that you're doing some great modeling there for a lot of men who, have thought about their bodies and what they want from their body and what they want to look like. But I think what you're kind of proposing is one evaluating the influence. So what is driving someone to, to want to make these changes? Is it a productive Mm -hmm. driver? Is it, is it a healthy motivation or is it something that's a little more toxic and unattainable and, and two just being realistic on it and saying, you know what, this is the body I've been given and I may never you know, get to this incredible image that society has given us, but rather why don't I just be realistic with my goals and try to get healthy? Yeah. And I, yeah, I can totally relate to that, man. I mean, it's the, I don't know. I think this is the environment that we put ourselves in the rugby environment is so like, it's so big, strong, fast, Mm -hmm. hit hard, you know, all that, which is great. But it's also like, you know, I'm, I'm at a bit of a crossroads, like, you know, as as we've seen the the soldiers are falling down a little bit as far as who's still who's still playing, and I'm still going at this point. But it's I, I've thought a lot about trying to play up, you know, and mm-hmm. trying to go. I'm living in the Bay Area. There's so much good rugby. Yeah. You can go also, play D1. Like, I, what I'm, yeah, I can go try to play D1. I mean, yeah. dude, that's like a full time job. Yeah, like, that's doing that. Why I stopped? <laughs> yeah. I was competing. I wasn't even was D1.
0: Like, I was competing to be D1. I was like D1 like a couple yeah. matches. But I was trying because it's a full time job. A bunch of those guys want to play pro. I was like, okay, yeah, I back up the guys who want to, you know, try it out and were like the backups for the pro team. Like not even the the pro team; they're the backups for the pro team, right? Yeah, you know?
1: yeah. So I, that's good, man. I think I think a lot of people will come to those crossroads in their lives around, you know, what is sustainable, what habits, you know, bring me joy, and you know, are sustainable, and which ones are actually you know, not going to be that sustainable. And I also think it's a good point around being realistic and about fitness goals, because I don't know how this happened, but it seems like in our country, it's like fitness, it's like a binge, like everything else. It's like go to the gym for three weeks, burn out, and then never work out again for six months. And then until I'm disgusted with myself and then start over, you know, and that's like, why is that, why is that the approach, you know, instead of something more sustainable?
0: Yeah. People want a quick fix solution. Right to everything, you know, that's what we're sold is what success is, right? They're an overnight celebrity, you know, that's just so much of the culture. I think in the US, I don't know about the rest of the world, I, I couldn't tell you accurately, um, but I could guess that you know they have similar stuff going on there, and it's just so it's, it's kind of a lie that people are told to keep them, you know, I think doing things that are unsuccessful like i don't think anyone's doing it consciously or there's like a group or anything like that but it's just kind of a good strategy maybe to sell things right you want to sell that lifestyle because that's what people want people want the lifestyle of the fitness guru who goes on you know instagram and is squatting you know two attractive women you know and stuff like that um that guy is
1: ridiculous
0: you know what i'm talking about
1: bradley that's martin that dude, that that's is a, absolutely absurd <laughs> yeah
0: and Duffy's, i'm pretty sure that dude's roided out like you know like no yeah. offense to him, <laughs> like, him like he he has what he wants like i think that's like if he's doing it healthily like it, you know i don't know all the upsides downsides of that stuff he i think you know if he wants to do that sure i don't want to do that i'm not going to look like bradley martin then you know at the end of the day you know it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what i do i won't look like that then um you know
1: Yeah, he's only 5'10", dude. He's not 5'11", probably. (laughs) Probably. He's probably
0: probably truthful about his height. That's probably why he's so swole. He's truthful about his height.
1: Awesome, man. Okay, so I want to pivot a little bit towards just one thing. So I think you are a pretty internationally-minded guy. You You keep up with World Affairs. I think you're pretty tapped into things outside of the U.S., a lot of Americans are not, and maybe a lot of people who listen to this have never taken the time to explore what happens beyond these these shores. Mm-hmm. So give us an elevator pitch for why somebody should care about international affairs, international happenings.
0: I think I could answer that question in one word. COVID-19. This is something, you know, this has been a trend that's kind of happened in Asia like a number of times, you know, with plant and animal viruses jumping to people, right? You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the prevailing theory about it. I think that's how this group of illnesses started in Asia. I don't want to get into the whole lab leak and stuff like that. Like, you know, I don't, I don't, (laughs) honestly, I'd love to know the answer, but you know, at the end of the day, I don't know how much it matters right now, but uh, you know, there's been a massive problem in society where kind of these, you know, animal diseases are getting passed to humans because there's an increasing amount of interactions with people in those animals we're eating exotic salamanders from in these cave systems where all kinds of viruses you know interact what what i want to sell you on is why people should care about science why people should care about the world beyond them And why people should care about problem solving and understanding what's going on, most importantly.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. And we have access to the internet, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, just go Go on the BBC. The BBC is the British Broadcasting Corporation. You'll immediately just get stuff from the UK, right? And so if you're kind of wanting to enter into the waters... They'll have American stories. You can read what the British think about what's going on in America. And they have tons like, – it's not like they're reporting this from the U.K. Like they have offices all and reporters all over the U.S., right? These are real reporters. It's just for a British audience. And I think that's a quick and easy way to kind of see what do other people think of the United States, you know, in like an entry into that world. And then also, um, you know, what do, do the British think about the world? Because the international section on there is really easy to read about. You can go read about Britain. You can go read about what's going on in, in the world. I think the British like to read about their former colonial possessions. So there would be mm. like a slight bias there towards like the news in like India, South Africa, Egypt, Australia, Australia. you know, so there are a little bias there. I think I picked up on that. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's just a great source, a great way to learn, you know, what do these people, um, you know, who honestly, American culture, right, is kind of descended from, you know, we were started out as British colonies, right? Um, so I think there's kind of some ties there. And so this is an easy way to uh, can start to connect with the world. And from there, you know, there's there's news agencies in every country. Um, and then your favorite US news channel usually has reporters, um, in every country, but usually those stories are a little harder to find. The BBC has found has made it very open. They also have a lot of good science articles. you know you can kind of read they have a great series on human history and understanding. Here I am being a salesman for the BBC but it's really great like if you want <laughs> I think I think it's important like you know to start to learn like you know you need you need some good entry points and I, you know I'd recommend in, that source. Um, and, and from there, just start to kind of Google the things that, that you read about, you know, there's a whole article on like, basically, you know, that I've gotten into recently, like basically why humans are the way they are. And so it's like paleolithic finds from around the world. And it's like talking about like human evolution and like how this connects with like human behaviors today. And I just find that so fascinating because I think like, like I was saying earlier at the end of the day, like we're pretty simple behaviorally. Like, you know, we do all these fancy things. We talk about this fancy mm-hmm. stuff. We can use computer and whatnot, go to the space. But, like, behaviorally, you know, we have very similar drivers as other animals, right? You know, we know, we know death's coming for us. We know I have a limited amount of time to do this stuff. Um, and we either can, like, you know, embrace that or we can, you know, run away from that. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I think it's really important, you know, for us to kind of remember where we came from. You know, and, and I think, you know, one of the best ways to do that is through anthropology, which is kind of the study of like human and, and chimpanzees and like our class of creatures, I believe. Um, and so I think that's like a really good way to do it. Um, and, and, you know, I, I recommend if you can find any good sources like that, um, you know, PBS is fantastic. You know, I watched PBS as a kid. One of the things I never, I didn't have cable until I moved to the Netherlands, um so until I was like 11 I watched PBS all the time. You know, you learn all kinds of stuff on that and they do a great job explaining it. So definitely finding entry points into understanding not just the international but the world, you know, is super important and uh you know, it you know, a lot of people don't like PBS because it's the public broadcasting uh service. But, you know, PBS is awesome, man. They made Arthur, Sesame Street. <laughs> trying to think what else. They had a bunch of kids shows.
1: PBS is all time. All right. Awesome. Okay. So then pivoting again, staying in the political realm, a little more domestic here. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a white guy. I'm a white guy. Yeah. How have you interacted with the racial reckoning that's been happening? You know, where have you kind of found yourself comfortable talking? What are things you haven't felt comfortable talking about? And this isn't something that is brought up a lot too, but like there are critiques out there of how the conversation is going. Right. And, you know, a lot of people have been alienated. A lot of people feel like the movement went about things the wrong way. Some people think they did it just right. It's kind of interesting, but I think as to white guys too, it's important for us just to, to to chop it up there for a minute.
0: Yeah. I think that, you know, one of the things that's kind of important for me to remember, and, and maybe this is something I need to do a better job in my personal life too, is, um, it's not my movement, if that makes sense. And I want to be, I need to clarify that statement. What I mean is mm-hmm. uh, there's not a role for me as a leader to make, I think, statements about how things should be, you know, what the problems are, because I'm not the one who is facing these issues, right? You know, I'm not, not—I'm as a white male, right, I'm not dealing with a lot of these issues that, you know, women face. And that people of color face, you know, uh, I think immigrants too in the United States, um, you know, with the stigmas, uh, with, you know, kind of the negative dog whistling, all that kinds of stuff. I don't face those problems. So what's really important for me to understand is to, to step back, not be the one saying things, not be the one kind of judging how things should be, what a good solution looks like, but instead to support what I think are good solutions, right? It's not time for me to speak, but I can still reinforce what I think are the ideal solutions by, you know, donating money to the cause. Um, you know, I guess marching in the, the, uh, the protests, um, which I did not do. Um, and then, uh, you know, just similar actions like that. Um, you know, even if it's as simple as liking them on Facebook, right. You know, that's, that is a metric that people use for success. Um, so anything you can do to kind of ally, I guess, and support what you think, uh, is the ideal outcome because right? Cause there's lots of different, I think, um, ideolo- ideologies, opinions about what kind of a equal society looks like. You know, Tom, that's kind of our role, right? Is you know, I'm not sure what else we can do because I think you know, if you kind of tried to lead a talk about the issues, you know, it's, it, I don't think it's your place. I don't think it's either of our place. Um, so I'd be interested. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've definitely had similar sentiments, and I mean I I I completely agree with you on the fact that it's you know the people who are adversely affected are the leaders, right? But I actually voiced that similar sentiment with some stuff I was doing for my high school with the prep and the diversity inclusion director, who's the leader, who's like he was hired as the DNI i director for the high school, I was on this panel of alumni and shared a similar sentiment. And then he kind of checked me and said, Tom, like the reason you're here is because I would, we need you to talk. He's like, the reason this happens or has nothing has changed is because white people are afraid to talk. Mm. So he's like, I literally brought you here to talk about this and you were going to talk about this. <laughs> huh. So I think that it was an interesting, really interesting well, yeah. perspective, you know, around saying like, you know, the whole like silence is violence thing is still true. Hmm. So, and I think like if we lead a conversation among our peer group, among our families, you know, I don't think that's overstepping.
0: Oh no. I think that's that's what you do as an ally. I think that's, I think, you know, that's a situation you were invited to talk, right? I'm assuming Mm. that you're the, the preps diversity and inclusion panel probably skewed white. Am I wrong or right?
1: Um, wrong. I mean, okay. It was, it was a panel of, of parents and alumni of color. Okay. Alumni of color and and current parents and Uh a few white people too. So including me. Okay. Interesting. And I think, yeah, it was, yeah, it was interesting, man. And what I tried to provide was just that perspective of this is what I experienced. And then looking back, you know, these may be some of the forces behind it and why it happened this way Mm -hmm. for me, as opposed to, you know, the, like the 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 classic one was like the hair, right? Like, you know, I thought it was so cool with my long hair. You know, yeah. we weren't supposed to have hair that to touches touched our collars or that area, uh-huh. and I never got in trouble with it. But how come when a, a guy with braids had his hair and braids see, yeah. and touched his collars, he got he got you know fine. He got slapped on the wrist for that. You know that those mm-hmm. little things that I was able to point out or, or we were able to point out. So yeah, I agree, man. I, I definitely think that the SJW That can be too much. But I also think that doing nothing is just as bad. Yeah. Personally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, who are you to think, who are you to say what another person or group of people want? You know, I think it's important to remember Mm. that for people, you know, what, you know, your job is to listen. And I think in like that situation you brought up, you know, what's important to note is that you were, you know, kind of, um, invited to share your experience you know, to, to focus on a problem that, you know, it sounded like people of color were spearheading, right? In that position, I think you were an ally, right? You weren't trying to lead, you weren't trying to, uh, you know, I, I think that's important to note that, that difference. And that's really interesting, man, because I think I probably saw different things where I had people of color, classmates who probably got treated differently than I did, you know, in school. And so, you know, I guess what, what should, you know, people do in situations where they see people, you know, being treated unfairly, you know, and, I mean, I, how are you supposed to react in that situa- situation where it could have been like, well, you know, Tom's hair, you know, but this, this, and that. And then the person with braid's hair, like this, this, and that, like, you know, with the context, I guess what you're saying is how should you act in a situation where you don't understand the context, but you think someone's being treated unfairly? Cause that's, not, that's really interesting. You know, that's, that's.
1: For sure. It's
0: probably difficult It, it pulls to back recognize. to what we
1: talked about originally. Oh, sorry. What'd you say?
0: Oh, I said it's probably just difficult to recognize, like, you know, because when you're doing things in the moment, you know, it's probably just tough to, like, think, like, oh, like, Tom got treated better, and then this person got treated worse. You know what I'm saying?
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's – it is complicated, too, because then a lot of white people use that as an excuse of, like, oh, they're pulling the race card, which is BS. Therefore, I'm not going to engage with it. You know, it's, it's kind of like, a, I don't know what I'm learning as I think about this stuff, man, is that people who don't want to go there, like white people who don't want to engage, you know, I don't want to say people can't change and people are stuck in a mindset, but I don't know. I think it takes a certain amount of openness and humility perhaps to engage with it. But
0: mm.
1: you know, why I asked the question and, and why I bring it up is just that, there are a lot of people saying these things. There are a lot of people who over the generations have said something isn't right. Something's wrong here and it needs to change. And that's why I'm trying to just to lend my voice to it and and hopefully promote some conversations and largely what, I mean, I have I don't know the demographic data of my show, but right now I'd imagine it's pretty white because I'm white and that's who I, you know, associated with largely until I became an adult and was able to make my own circles, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for sharing. And again, all this stuff we're talking about is just modeling, healthy communication. That's the whole point, right? Like neither Mm -hmm. Lee or I are experts on this stuff, but we care and we're trying to show the other fellows out there that we can talk about serious things and and it could be okay. We don't combust into flames.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's definitely important. Like, you know, maybe you do combust into flames the first couple of times,
1: you know, I think it's
0: okay. That's fine. Like if if you've never done something before, you're going to suck at it. Like that applies to anything. Yeah. Like, you know, there's, you know,
1: listen to my first couple podcasts.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm probably bad right now. I'm probably a terrible podcast guest. I probably have some good highlights, though. I bet I have some highlights.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm a peaks and valley. Awesome, man. Peaks and valleys. So, okay. All right. We're going to have two more segments. I would be chagrined to let you go as someone who studied a lot of philosophy without asking you you know, what have you learned from studying philosophy, man? I think that's really interesting. And that's an a area that not a lot of people have, have jumped into. So if you could give a a brief, you know, th- thoughts on what have you learned about human nature after after that, that study?
0: Yeah. So I don't think that I've learned necessarily a ton about human nature from philosophy. I think that People who, who say, oh, I understand human nature because I understand the world through this philosopher's context and through their idea, uh, through their basically way of thinking, right? That's, that's just completely removing your autonomy from the situation. And so I think what you learn from philosophers, or at least I think good students do, is ways to construct methods to think about the world um, based from, on their own experience. Um, you know, and then, then when you do it that way, you're not deriving it from a philosopher in itself, but then you develop qualities that are maybe more similar or less similar to certain philosophers. So I think that there's a key distinction there, right, which is are you derived mm-hmm. from the philosopher or are you derived from your experience? And I think, you know, what's key for people is to be derived from their experience, um, you know, which is definitely tough to say because what, ex- what is your experience? You know, maybe it's the philosophers you read. Maybe that sets everything up. Um, you know, it's causality is so crazy how it works. Uh, you know, what what is the cause of something in itself, right? What What is the real cause of this action? Why did you decide to do this? Um, you know, people are so complex. And so I think that's kind of my biggest takeaway from philosophy is learning how to apply to problems, learning how to apply uh, you know ways of thinking to problems. I think the philosopher that really you know changed my way of thinking uh, because I learned kind of a, a new way of constructing morality um, was Hannah Arendt. Um, so her book was about the banality of evil, and you know that really made a big impact on me. This uh, there was a German logistics official for the SS, Adolf Eichmann, and so he was essentially responsible for. Uh, you know, moving people to and from the camps. Um, and so, you know, he was kind of just, uh, you know, uh, in any other situation, right, he'd be a freight rail officer. Um, you know, pretty normal job, I guess, you know, <laughs> you know if it, the cargo wasn't so uh, extreme. And, um, and, and so what's interesting about the situation is, you know, he ran away to Argentina and he was eventually, like, apprehended by the Mossad. And, uh, you know, I think this was in, like, the 1970s, you know, so like 30 years after World War Two, and, you know, they eventually hanged him in Jerusalem. And so there were a whole bunch of books, you know, kind of published about this issue, right? Because it's a pretty massive moral quandary, because Adolf Eichmann said, you know, I did nothing. So I just moved people, you know, on trains. Um, mm-hmm. Right? I was stuck in a between a rock and a hard place. You know, I had to do this job, right? Or I would have been killed. You know, what was I to do? And, you know, what's tough, what, you know, what make, it really makes you face a tough question, right? If you put yourself in Adolf Eichmann's shoes, because let's say, you know, you worked for um, the U.S. freight rail, right? You're just a guy who, you know, even just sets the tracks, right? This is, there's a, a classical philosophy problem, the trolley problem. But Let's say you're the guy who just sets the tracks. You decided the train goes right or if it goes left. If you're placed in a situation where essentially someone puts a gun to your head, and says, you need to make the train go left and kill all these people. You know, what are you to do? At the end of the day, you're the freight rail philosopher. And ask, or you're the freight rail manager, excuse me. Um, and, and so I think <laughs> You're is the awful.
1: freight rail philosopher, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But,
0: it, you know, just thinking about the situation, like, it just it really makes you face this dilemma yourself. Like, you know, what would I do? Mm-hmm. Right? You know, how would I apply this to this situation? Hopefully, you know, it doesn't come down to that situation. You're able to make choices earlier that prevent this, but it really shows the importance also of of making choices earlier and stopping this sort of banal evil is the concept. Basically, this like common evil where you're, you know, you're just, you know, you're not killing someone. You're just turning a lever, right? You're a piece in the clock. And it just shows you the importance of stopping that kind of evil and helping people understand, like, you know, you're moving these pieces and you say, I'm not doing anything bad. But by moving those pieces, you're enabling something that's terrible. Um, and so that kind of just really changed the way I thought about the world. Because, you know, if, when you ask yourself that question, well, if I was the person pulling the lever, you know, you really think deep and hard about yourself and, you know, who you are. Um, and, you know, I don't know, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know what I would do. Um, but, you know, you got to hope that you would do the, the right thing in that case, right? Which is uh, take the bullet and, and save all those people, which is a tough thing you know, to really think about, right? That's a, not a great situation. But I think, you know, what, that's what Hannah Arendt is kind of her impact on my life. And that's why I'm willing to like engage with people in what I think are sometimes stressful situations. Like, you know, I'm willing to talk with people in traffic because I understand I can do the good thing. By instead of reinforcing the stressful situation, if I'm just like, "Hey man, I'm gonna turn right" or something like that, I yell that. I'll yell it to people from my car. Um, I'll yell it to people in my car from my bike and stuff like that. And it's just kind of to me, that's just a way, a small way in which you can kind of stop this banal evil, which to me is traffic fatalities, which you know are caused by stress. Um, you know, because you know, I, I think that's definitely like a big thing in my life is making sure that people do that properly. And like, that's such a small, stupid hangup. But for me, it's like really important because like I've been hit by a car. I've almost been hit by cars in way worse times. Um, but you know, I saw it to me, like one of my big, like pet peeves, I guess one of the big things I focus on is communicating with people in these traffic situations to kind of stop this banal evil, this common evil. No one's trying to do anything bad, but because they're cogs in the machine, terrible things happen right? And so I try and do my part to stop that. Um, I think that's just an easy thing a lot of people can do is communicating in in traffic as a pedestrian, as a biker, as a scooter rider, as a driver. Like That's such an easy thing that people can do and pay attention to, a small habit that like saves lives. You know what I mean? Um, Because the time I did get hit by a taxi cab, it would have been way fucking worse if I didn't communicate with them first. They just kind of like sideswiped me. And then another time I actually hit a car because this car just like braked like no other. Um, and, you know, that was kind of a situation, you know, similar thing. Like it was just a shit show. Like the whole situation, like people like ran in front of the car. So I didn't really blame them, but they were trying to blame me. And I was like, dude, like, you know, you need to chill out. But uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's like, you know, Hannah rents, like her philosophy was a big influence on me and trying to think in those terms, um, you know because it's you know, so a lot of these philosophers would say like, you know It's important to to try and do good like all that matters is the intention and like, you know What I've always said is that's bullshit because you know, I intend a lot of shit But I don't end up with it and it's because I didn't work for it And I didn't take that intention and turn it to a reality and and what people need to realize I think is is doing good in a lot of cases you know, people I think should have a higher expectation of themselves and try and do the good thing. And sometimes that's really fucking hard, right? Sometimes that's taking the bullet from the guy because you don't pull the lever, right? Or trying mm. to stop him from shooting you or something. Like maybe if you're a badass, you know, and, and like maybe if you're yeah. on steroids, you could, uh, you know, hit the gun away or something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah,
1: man. I think a lot of what you said comes back to the conversation we just had as white guys engaging with this conversation around race because a lot of times I've heard about a white person unintentionally being very insensitive or yeah. unintentionally doing something racist. And, you know, I've if probably just, done if it. Just, yeah. For sure. Probably all I yeah. think it's, yeah. I think until we educate ourselves, it's kind of just unfortunately part of the deal. Yeah. And it's like, if intention counted for everything, that you know what i mean mm-hmm. that there would be no learning there would be no reckoning there yeah. would be no improvements um yeah so awesome man
0: that's definitely right man i was thinking the same thing so I, you know i'm glad you thought of it because uh i think you know people tr- they say they try and do better but you know sometimes it takes a lot of effort it takes a lot of practice to do better um so you know i guess that's a great takeaway for your your audience is you know practice does make perfect with everything um and i guess that includes uh racial tension
1: 100 okay and we and we pivot to the three things game Libby, i should know this i'm sorry i don't i'm gonna guess is your birthday in october
0: september late september. september very late september so almost october
1: okay word well i'm up first so i'll read a question i'll answer it then you'll have a second question for yourself okay Okay. What are three things you have learned from taking risks? That's my question. Circles back to the the first thing we talked about. One thing I would say is that risks are awesome. Totally right. I'm, I'm pro risk. I'm pro chances because it opens doors. It it creates great memories. Mm-hmm. Um, number two would be around calcula- calculated risks I've learned are, are better than uh, just shooting from the hip. If Mm -hmm. you use that analogy, because things go wrong to also, you know, like adventures are awesome. Think before you act. Yeah. Think before you act. Exactly. That's number two. The third thing I've learned from taking risks. Mm, Trust my gut. I would say trust my gut. Mm -hmm. If something is risky, but it feels right. You know, I've been wrong. I've, I've, I've made the wrong call, but I trusted my gut at the time. And that's at the end of the day, all I can ever fall back on is my intuition. So that's what I would say around risk is that I rely on my intuition, I trust my intuition, and that's what I'm going to go for in those those uncertain moments. Mm-hmm.
0: Those are awesome. good. So all right, man. It, was, it was take risks because they they pay out. It was make calculated, calculated risks. Yeah. And then what was the third one again?
1: Lean on the intuition.
0: Lean on intuition. Trust your gut. I like those three.
1: Hell yeah, man. All right. Here's your question.
0: What are three things your last romantic partner taught you? (laughs) It's been a long time.
1: There you go. Reach back into the memory.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, you know what? Last here. here's, Here's a good philosophy trick. So last could also mean most current. Right. So, right. You could, you know, yeah, true. Exactly. So that's what I'm going to go with. Um, your
1: last and your current. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So,
1: wow. What a pivot. That was impressive. Nicely done.
0: <laughs> that's why you should study philosophy. Um, so I think the, uh, and pay attention in English class. Cause I didn't pay attention in English class, but I did pay attention to philosophy and you know, if I could do that, imagine what if I did, if I did both. Um, but three things that Sam taught me, I think the importance, you know, number one of kind of embracing my feelings, like, you know, that's definitely something that I've not always been comfortable with, you know, being comfortable expressing negative feelings. You know, that's something that I guess being more sensitive is if that's the right word um, is, is definitely something that I, you know, kind of have, have learned, right. You know, I'd bottle up those sorts of feelings um, you know, I think that's the first one. The second one is that it's okay to relax. Um, you know, I think like part of my personality or whatever is I always want to go, 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 go. And I definitely burn out and then you crash, right? Cause if, you know, that's not sustainable. So it's definitely important to be willing to take breaks, you know, for your sanity, take like five, 10 minutes for yourself. You know, if you just need to kind of reset, if you need to, um, you know, Recalculate re, calc- your risk. Um, you know, just take, take short breaks if you need it Take a longer break if you need it because it's important not to burn out Um, and I think that's something that she did, you know in the past That's a failure that she had and she learned from Um, so it's something she's very conscious of now, which I think is good because like recently like working out Like I hurt my knee and like I definitely hurt my knee because I played ba- Well, I had pre-existing stuff going on But I played basketball for like four hours straight after I hadn't played for like two three weeks you know right like it's you know just too much at mm-hmm, too much at mm-hmm. once um and then let's see the third thing that Sam's told me being positive definitely being positive oh, i think really that's something bad. that's something that we've been emphasizing recently and i think that's from her um you know making sure that you're finding the good in the situation is always a plus that you can do and that's super easy and uh it's you know it's easy with Sam around a lot easier with Sam around
1: Beautiful, man. I love that. (laughs) Awesome. Lee B. Well, thank you so much for getting on here and sharing your thoughts and your wisdom and you know it modeling vulnerability for all the lads out there.
0: Vulnerability is cool. (laughs) You got it. It's like, it's like, look, I was playing airsoft this weekend, man. And, uh, here's, here's a simple fact that applies in airsoft and it applies in life. In order to shoot other people, you have to be willing to put yourself out there and get shot. And you know what? A lot of times getting shot isn't that bad. Take lots of small risks if it's not gonna like hurt you that much. If it's someone rejecting you, like that's not gonna hurt you that much. You know, so you gotta put yourself out there. Why not?
1: Why not? Life is short.
0: Yep. Awesome. Thanks, Lee B. Thank you, Tom. Have a great night, man.
1: There it is, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in and thank you to Lee for coming on the show. I think he spoke with a lot of compassion and empathy around a lot of topics, which is great to see. Send the show along to a friend, somebody who you think will enjoy it. And we'll see you next Thursday on the Bro Nouveau podcast.